Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Pia from Philadelphia, and it's good to be here. Um, I was so happy to be assigned the chapter, Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. I feel like this book has my name all over it, but in particular, this chapter. I grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, I grew up around the big book, and um, it's just ironic to me that it took me into my 40s to realize the real person who needed the big book in our home was me. So here I am. Um, and I'm going to start with the first paragraph. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So when I came in, I was um, 336 pounds. Um, and I'm in a lot of communities that don't care about weight, so I wasn't particularly concerned about the weight. But what I had noticed right before I came in is that when my weight got to a really high point, my anxiety would come up because as I got larger and larger, um, I would start to feel almost suffocated by the weight. Um, and I also would sort of notice things like the bottoms of my feet really hurt. Um, I was having, the thing that really struck me was is I was having difficulty moving, so I was kind of not able to walk sort of forward. I was waddling kind of side to side. Uh, I caught myself in a gym mirror and was like, wow, who is that? Because I really just didn't, I was so disassociated from my body. Um, and in terms of insanity or death, I, um, I came in with sleep apnea. And so I had sleep apnea for about 10 years, and that's where you stop breathing sort of intermittently through the night. And I remember the doctor saying to me that maybe if I lost the weight, the sleep apnea would go away. And I hung on to that maybe. It was like, well, if you can't prove it scientifically, then I'm definitely not going to even start <laughs> trying. Um, and then we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were real alcoholics. And so when I came in, I... Um, I just was feeling like I just can't get a handle on this food thing. I was doing a really long commute. Um, I was going through a lot of drive-throughs, which caught my attention because up until that point, I hadn't really had drive-through money. I had sort of separated drive-throughs into two classes of drive-throughs. So one I called McDonald's, and so I, I didn't do that. But I did what I called middle-class drive-throughs, which was like Starbucks, but it's like the same. I mean, you know, really. So um, and I didn't eat breakfast before I left the house, so I just thought I was eating breakfast. But what I noticed was I would sort of start in the line thinking I was going to order one thing, and then my order would get larger and then by the time I got up to the ordering window I suddenly had like two additional things right um, and so I noticed that and because of the long commute I just had this sense that I was killing myself like I knew enough about nutrition that what I was doing was off kilter um, to say the least um, and then when I um, I, so I, I sought out an eating disorder specialist and to just to sort of say like I think I might have an eating disorder and um, so I was seeing that outside help, and I was seeing a nutritionist, and I cleaned up my food, and it looked good. There was kale. There were sweet potatoes. Um, and then, and everybody was giving me the thumbs up. So the nutritionist was giving me the thumbs up. The therapist was giving me the thumbs up. And then I made, I read a recommendation about making an entire tray of sweet potatoes. So it was about five pounds of sweet potatoes, and I ate them over the course of a day. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, you know, I think there's something wrong here. Like, I just was like, hmm. I don't, f and what I, what I thought, my partner has long-term sobriety in AA, and I just thought, I don't feel sober. Like, I don't feel stable. I don't feel clear. I feel like, and I was that person who, um, you know, I have alcoholic foods, but I could also binge on non-alcoholic foods. And so I was that person who, on day one, I'd have a bowl of oatmeal. On day two, it was a oatmeal and walnuts. On day three, it was oatmeal, walnuts, and blueberries. On the day four, it's oatmeal, walnuts, blueberries, and flax seeds. And, like, the meal would just get bigger and bigger. And I just, so all, that's all I knew was, like, I think there's something called an alcoholic in the food, and I think I'm it. When I eat that tray of sweet potatoes, I could just see, I don't have control over this. Um, and I can clean it up, and I also realized I've been here before. Like, that's the helpful thing about being in your 40s. So it was like, oh, I've cleaned up food before, and that, and so when we talk a little bit about um, we have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. We can have intervals, usually brief, where inevitably followed by still less control. So what had happened for me was right before the tray of sweet potatoes, I had had a, a, essentially a relapse in the food, although I wasn't in recovery at the time. And before that, I had cleaned up my food. And that memory was close enough that I could see, oh, this is the same thing that's happening, the kale and the... And I was also like that person who I just, I didn't diet per se, but I would do things like, you know what I should really do is become a vegan. Or I would read like, you know, and I, and I right before I came in, I had read this plan where it involved eating two pounds of vegetables a day. So that was perfect for binging. And, um, and so that's what I did. And um, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery followed by worse relapse. The other thing that really helped me was I had spent some time single. And then I, right before that, I was with someone else who was also in the food. So I didn't really notice. But now my partner is a normal eater. And I noticed some peculiar things, like she could stop. And like I and I had never realized that I couldn't stop. Like I just was like in the flow of food. I just thought I was a foodie and blah blah. Um, and so we lived near this cupcake place, and they would have a sale. And so we would end up with four cupcakes. And I and just to imagine, like these are cupcakes. Like two thousand year cupcakes are like as large as your head. Right, so it's not like the 1950s, like little thing, right? So we'd have four of those, and she would eat kind of part of one, and then be like, eh, and I would eat the other three. And I just started to think like, mm -hmm, oh, I think something is off. Um, so that's kind of what, what brought me in. And, and I would just sort of notice, I just noticed that she was able to stop. And I would just keep going. And I had not really noticed like the amount of food I was eating because I was a huge grazer. So, and I also, I can count on one hand the number of times I felt full. So it wasn't like I was getting to like a, a point of feeling um, sick. Um, so by every, um, if we're real alcoholics, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, we try to prove ourselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. And um, what will help you do that is women's magazines in America. Um, so there's always like a tip. And I would take the tip, but I couldn't hold on to the tip to save my life. So um, they would suggest, and a lot of what I did before I came in relates to this next section, which is here are the methods that we have tried.
right? Um, and drinking beer only. I could substitute any number of things in there, but I would say, you know, eating like um, sugar-free sweeteners only. That was not really my thing, but I, because I was a little more holistic than that, but I definitely tried honey. Didn't work for me. Uh, limiting the number of things that I ate, never drink, never eating by myself, never eating in the morning, eating only at home, um, never having it in the house, like no chips, no bread, no whatever. Um, eating only during business hours, um, eating only at parties, switching from one brand of something or like from, I did a lot of, like if I could come in on, you know, I was, was uh, for 10 years, I had substituted out full fat milk for, for low fat. Like I did all of that, right? So that was not the issue because I was still at a very, very high weight. Uh, and the high weight has been useful that, for smashing the, the delusion for me. Because when I start to go into, well, maybe I could, I can just see like where I got. Um, it, and so taking a trip, not taking a trip, um, agreeing to resign if ever drunk, drunk on the job. Um, so before I came in, we, ha we have a break room at work. And I would go in under the agreement with myself that, and this is part of what I noticed uh, of why I consider myself an alcoholic in the food is, I would say, okay, I'm only going to have one. And then I'd be like, well, you know, I mean, one is like, that's just kind of like one. I mean, two is not really that much more than one. And then the next thing you know, I'd have five. Um, and so, and then I love this part about taking more physical exercise. So the number of times I like got a trainer and went started a gym membership that I never followed through on or whatever it was, um, reading inspirational books. And so I came in through treatment. But when I came out of treatment, I saw that I had more self-help than anyone should be legally allowed to have. <laughs> like I, and so and part of not being sober for me in the food was that I couldn't take any suggestions. So I would read these books and I'd be like, oh, that's a nice idea. Throw it over my shoulder, get another book, and then be like, oh, that's a nice idea, but I could never implement anything, right? So, and I also, when I came in, I thought that sitting on the couch and thinking about it was the same as doing it. Um, and I was an out, so it was very helpful. Like, again, like experience is very helpful. So I was an Al-Anon for probably 10 years, never worked a step. So when I came in, I was like, oh, there's, there's got to be something called like actually working it that's different than from what I was doing. Um, so that, that was very helpful. Um, we do not like to pronounce any individual alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. And then um, there's a suggestion to go into, um, go into a bar room and try some controlled drinking. And ironically enough, although I hadn't read this book yet, I did do that. So I was at a restaurant bar. I was crossing the threshold. I remembered what the women's magazines had said about moderation. And in order to moderate, you need to split dessert. So I split dessert with my partner. And as a result of that, I went on a bender for the next week. Right? And so I was like, oh, yeah, about that. Right? Uh, meanwhile, my partner had that dessert and moved on. Um, and so um, though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, I always had sort of a food thing, um, but my weight didn't really take off until I was in high school. But what I will say is even before I was um, supersized, I thought I was too fat. So going backwards in weight was actually really helpful for me because um, I'm 150 pounder, so 150 pounds down from where I was. And going backwards, I can see I confused 10 pounds overweight with 50 pounds overweight, with 100 pounds, like it was all the same to me. And it was all about like there was something wrong with me and it needed to be fixed. But the real issue was just that I am mentally and bodily different from my fellows. And so, and I could never solve that through a diet, which is kind of how I came in. So, um, and then we go on to, um, 
page 33 where we say this contain, case contains a powerful lesson. So this was a guy who had stopped drinking and then, um, then he thinks that he can drink. Um, and we have seen this truth demonstrated again and again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And so I had this really funny, I had these really great um, dreams and sobriety. And one of them <laughs> was that I, I want to say that someone got me this immaculate box of chocolates, but I think really I bought it for myself. But um, it was this like tiered experience of pralines. And in the dream, I opened the box and I'm like, you know, because there, there's a whole sort of group of thought where it's like, you know, you eat until you're full and then you stop, right? So in the dream, I'm like, all right, I'm going to just try this. So I take one praline, I eat the second one, I eat the third one. And after each one, I say, do I feel like stopping? I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And I eat the whole, the first 12, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like stopping. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, characterizes my alcoholism in the food, right? And so I give the box to someone, and I'm like, you need to take this from me. And they're like, oh, okay, I'll just put it in the cupboard. I was like, no, no. <laughs> you need to take this from, like, you need to do something else with this, because I can't have it in, in the house. And when I woke up from that dream, I just had to laugh, because that's the obsession, right? That I could somehow, that there would be some kind of off switch. I know for sure I don't have the off switch. That dream came a couple years into sobriety. It just kind of confirmed, oh, I really am the alcoholic in the food that I think that I am. And the other thing that I realized when I woke up was that the only thing that would stop me is feeling ill from eating all that chocolate. Like, I was willing to do all four tiers or whatever is feeling ill and even that would only stop me temporarily and I would be right back and so that's how I know for me that I'm an alcoholic in the food um, and so I know that if I were to pick up today I would be as bad off if not worse than I was before um, and then on page 34 um, There's this whole idea of leaving liquor alone for a year, and I'll just tell this story about how, how I came in. So I came in, as I said, through outside help and then, and then through, through treatment. When I was in outside help, I went like this, and I was like, you know, sugar is a wrecking ball through any plan I have ever made about anything. And so I took um, a sugar out. My, out. my outside help, when I came in and like proudly announced, like, I have taken out sugar. And I could just see her like worried that I had like swung to some restrictive angle or whatever. And, I, and the fear on her face or whatever. And I said, you know, I had that same reaction. Like as soon as I thought about taking out sugar, which happens to be an alcoholic food for me, my first reaction was, I'll never live. And I was like, mm, that's scientifically not true. It's not a food group, <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it, it doesn't exist as a food group. Like, actually, I'm not cutting out, like, any food groups, right? Uh, even I ended up cutting out flour. Even flour is not its own food group. Carbs is a food group, and I eat other carbs. And so, um, and when I explained it to her that way, she was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I had jury duty, and um, I was, uh, we had a little lunch break, and I went to Reading Terminal Market, and I could see that everything calls to me, everything. I walked in the front door, that vendor called to me. I, and I could also see that I was like a little, like I read this great thing about this person who was in recovery and, and she got, had, a, a, had surgery and she had a morphine drip. And she distinguished an addict from a non-addict in the following way. An addict will hit the morphine drip in advance of pain they don't yet have. <laughs> and so what I could see for myself was that if I had been doing sugar at that point, I would have been squirreling things away in my pocket for later. Like, I was eating lunch, 
So I was perfectly fine. But I was like, ooh, I'll take that and I'll take that in my mind, right? And I could just see. And the other thing that the women's magazines would say that it has not been true for me is that, that it is cutting out sugar that will lead to a binge. And in my experience, binges led to binges. Like when I ate, I just wanted to eat more. So that I didn't have like a stop thing. And so actually when I, so I took the sugar out as a lark, which was very helpful because I didn't like freak out about it. I was just like, let me just see what happens if I take this out. Um, and what happened was my obsession went away. And I was able to like be normal in terms of like eating like regular foods and stop. Um, and I could see like, oh, right. Um, now the sweet potato thing, um, that was, that has sugar in it. So it, I was, and I, and there's a lot of behaviors that I now know that I can't engage in. Like, so there's a lot of things I don't eat because they're poppables. You know, pop them in my mouth, right? And so I don't eat popables because they're just, they set off the compulsion for me. And I see the disease, I mean, we talk about, you know, the threefold illness is spiritual, mental, and physical. The other way that I think about it is obsession, addiction, and compulsion. If I do any one, if I set any one, I think of it as a triangle, if I set any angle of the triangle off, I'm going to be off to the races and I won't be able to control it. Right? So if I pop something in my mouth, because I had asked my sponsor early on, because I was t um, tasting a dish every now and then to make sure it was seasoned right, and she's like, yeah, never heard that go well. I was like, all righty then. I'll just, I, so I stopped that behavior. Um, because I believe that you know, I could do that probably for a while, and then, then the next thing you know, I'm like eating over the pot. And for me, volume was a real issue. So that, that's part of that. Um, so. Um, and then many of us felt we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. And what I'll say about character is I would also equate, like, I had a lot of education, right? So that was also very helpful because I could see that, um, so for me, for instance, I have a PhD. And so that was not keeping me sober. And in fact, when I was writing my dissertation, I was sitting in my bar, which was a coffee shop, and I was chugging back sweet things and like getting larger and larger and not noticing, right? And so part of what brought me in is that I was able to see that if I could read it in a book and stop, I would have, and I would have done that 20 years ago. So obviously that's not the problem. And, um, and then I came in through this outside help, then I had the sweet potatoes, and then I said to my outside help, I need to go somewhere because I realized I, need, I didn't know yet about the big book, but I knew that I needed clear-cut direction around the food. Um, and I knew that it couldn't come from me. And the, the funny example of how it couldn't come from me is that so I, go, I get to treatment, which I voluntarily go to, by the way. And so I get there. The nutritionist hands me a food plan. And my first thought, I don't say this out loud, thankfully, is, you know, we could do it that way, but we could also do it this other way. And I, and I realized that, like, I had spent a lot of time, like, what I thought of as creativity was defiance. Right? So I thought, like, I was being cute, right? I was like, you know, I mean, I know you have a degree in nutrition, but I've, like, read all these books, and I think we could really, you know, that, that was, like, my attitude about it all. And so I realized, um, I had a little talk with myself, and I realized that you decided to go to treatment, so you need to accept direction, and you break all plans, including your own. So it really doesn't matter where this plan is coming from. And when I look back on my career, I would like make an agreement with myself, last maybe 24 hours, 
change the agreement, change the agreement again, change it again, and then it's unrecognizable by the end of the week, right? And so I realized you're just going to accept the plan as, as she has it written and like move on with your life. So that's what I did. Um, and so, and similarly, like coming into the rooms, I had to really get clear on like actually following direction. And I love now that I'm in my 40s, like all these little sayings are helpful, like the devil is in the details. And if there's one thing that I love to do, it's like rewrite the 12 steps to the way that I would like to do them, right? Um, and I don't necessarily want to, and it's not really, it's not a conscious thing necessarily, but it's like if I look at the, one of my um, OA friends said, the directions in the book never change. And I was like, oh, huh, that's an interesting idea, right? It's like, like, like that kind of stuff. I would just sort of, you know, come up with my own PIA version of things. Um, my other favorite story is about Jim. Um, so he gets his whole life back together, um, and then what we realize, I think, when we're reading at the bottom of pages 35 and the top of 36, is that, you know, he feels a little irritated, um, he had become a salesman for a concern he once owned, I mean, he completely minimizes all of his bedevilments, right, he just makes it into, like, it's not a big deal, and then he crosses the threshold into an eatery that he's been in many, many, many times, he orders a sandwich and a glass of milk, and then he says, you know what, I have a great idea. Let me add some whiskey. And the number of times that I had done things, like right before I came in, I was doing things like, uh, you know what I should really do is I found this recipe for chocolate pudding that uses avocado. And then I ate all four servings. Like it really doesn't matter that it has avocado in it. Like I was a big, big substituter, right? Um, and, and even now, like when I start to think like, oh, I have a good idea, then I know that something is about to go awry in my food potentially. And um, in recovery, I've even had moments where I've been eating something sensibly abstinent and had to put it down. So I had made this thing that was 100% abstinent and I was eating it and I started thinking about opening up an abstinent bakery and then I knew for me, I could no longer eat that food, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, it would be a really good idea. And I was like, okay, dial back. Um, and so, and then as a part of that, you know, we can do whatever it is that we're doing for a minute, right? He does that. Um, it does, nothing really happens. Um, but then it starts the, the journey to the in, uh, insane asylum. And so, you know, for me, I have to really pay attention to that. And now, you know, since my food has been so clean, I will start to, I notice things that maybe other people wouldn't be sensitive to that I'm sensitive to. So I'm sensitive to vinegar. When I have vinegar, I want to take my hand and put it inside the bowl and lick my entire hand. And then so I know I have a problem with vinegar. And so I, w and so I was talking to the nutritionist about this and I was like, I want to be a weird food person who's like, like overdoing it. But she's heard of other people who've had that problem. I know plenty of people who don't. Um, and what I would say is that what I talk to, when I talk to sponsees about identifying their alcoholic foods is if you can stop and move on, you don't have a problem. And if you can't, and if you start daydreaming about stuff, then there might be something that you have to take a look at. So um, you may think this is an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. This is the top of 37. Um, we have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there will always be the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning there there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. And for me, the sound reasoning, I didn't come in with a whole lot of health issues, but I would say the sleep apnea is a pretty severe consequence, and I couldn't reason my, like, the sleep apnea and the weight to me were two different universes, and I was not going to connect them because I didn't want to give up the food. 
So, um, and I was waking up with a lot of anxiety and stuff. And, and I had a period, I think, due to the sleep apnea where I was having um, these dreams where I was having a heart attack in the dream and that did not stop me. So I was dying in the dream and I would wake up and be really anxious, but it never occurred to me that it could be about the weight. Um, so in some circumstances, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified, nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what has always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequence might be. And the terrific consequence to me is that there's no moral issue around food. It's America. If I want to eat M&M's, who cares? Um, except for that I can't stop. So to, that, to me, is the consequence. So I play the tape all the way through as a way of kind of reminding myself of that. Like, it's not about should I or shouldn't I eat the M&Ms. And it's not about should I or should I not count them out. And it's not about because I just was, was the person who was going to eat the whole bag, no matter how big the bag was. And, and in fact, when I came in, the other thing that I'll say, and then I'll, I'll get to a close, is that I thought that portion sizes were made up by the government to keep me down. Like, I literally <laughs> thought they were fiction. And so when they were, like, talking about a half cup, I was like, I don't even understand what that is, right? Because it just, to me, like, one chicken was one meal, right? It was one serving. Um, and so then I'll go to, um, then we have Fred, and he sort of sees, you know, he looks across the bar, and he sees this joyous, raucous crowd. And when I see normal eaters, you know, that was my thought, was like, how can they eat with impunity? How can my, my partner eats a cupcake probably every day. But she eats, it's like a little miniature cupcake. Um, and then she moves on. Um, oops, sorry. And so, and I'll, I'll come to a close with this. Um, and so then I'll take us to the very bottom of 43. Um, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Uh, and so I'll just close with this, which is that I've been sober in the food for four and a half years. And it is not about, it has not been about the food for me. So my food has been clean. I don't slip. I don't mess around with the food. And still, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And I had worked the steps with a sponsor the first time around. And it just felt like to me, like, it's like when you clean out the basement and maybe you just didn't grab quite everything. And so I recently reworked the steps again because I didn't feel emotionally sober. And now I'm starting to feel much, much more free. So if it was about the food being clean, my food's been clean. But I could still, it was like the, with, the, with the sweet potatoes, it was like I could still feel that something was off. And um, what I've realized since working the steps again is that I was working the steps kind of like to the best of my ability, but sort of like individual notes if I was a musician, like one, 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 twelve, three. And now I realize that they re that I need to be able to play it like the beautiful symphony that it is. And I can only do that if I'm working all 12 steps the way that I've been directed. Um, and so they're really, they're chords. And if I don't play step, if I don't play steps four through 10 and then 11 and 12 together, and I kind of dip in and out, I'm not gonna get the beautiful music. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you.